there's numbing things, numbing qualities to addiction and abusive things. And it keeps people from experiencing their feelings and then walking through their pain. And for many people who struggle lifelong, it's easier to do the thing than it is to face the pain. And although God is plan for our life is to live a life of freedom. The fear to addressing what is so dark and painful makes it easier to use. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Praxis Podcast. Praxis is the college-age community of Three Crosses Church in Castro Valley, California, and this podcast exists for the purpose of engaging in conversations that help young people flourish in life and faith. I'm your host, Max Critchfield, the pastor of College Age Community at Three Crosses, and we're so glad you're here. Well, in this first season of the Praxis Podcast, we've been talking about mental health, as well as exploring the connections between mental health and Christian faith. And as we continue on that journey and we draw close to the end of it, I'm joined today by... Uh, my friend and friend of the show, skilled therapist and great person, Amanda Galetto. So say <laughs> hi, Amanda. Hi, guys. <laughs> so glad to have you with us today. And uh, today we are embarking on a conversation on the topic of addiction. And um, really, as we were just praying before we started this recording, for people who maybe just feel stuck, you know, maybe they feel shame about uh, something that they're just feel trapped in. Um, that there'd be maybe just some some light that starts to kind of enter the conversation of a way forward, a way out, a way through, um, a sense of God with you and whatever um, bad habit addiction might be impacting you or the people around you. So really excited as we uh, dive into today's topic. And before we get there, we want to read our disclaimer, which is this, that this podcast episode is not a replacement for professional therapy. This podcast is a platform where we will be sharing resources and information that may be useful to the general public. If you need immediate assistance, please call 988. Well, before we get into um, today's topic, we have the way we begin every show, which is the precious moment. So this is just a time where we share something that has brought a smile to our face recently. And um, Amanda, you want to go first? Sure. So I think this one is really timely with our chat today. And um, I was at um, a point with my little guys um, where we, you know, hang out before bed and we pray and talk about our prayer requests. And my little guy was looking pretty solemn. And um, earlier in the day, he had done something that was not awesome. (laughs) And... I said, hey, you, do you want to pray? And he's like, no. And I was like, all right, are you feeling a little sad? And he's like, yeah. And I said, would you want to talk to God about your sadness? And he's like, okay. And uh, <laughs> so he's six. And he just talked about feeling sad for his wrong decision. Mm. And we talked about God's forgiveness for him and his grace and that he can move on through his day because of Jesus. And um, I think we're going to talk a lot about that today, but it feels very impactful to be at a point in my life and understanding grace with my little guy. 
so that's my little moment. Mm, that's beautiful. I think today, uh, for me, something that made me smile, I went into my office this morning and uh, there's this um, worship song I really like uh, currently. It's called Same God. And uh, it goes like, I'm calling on the God of Jacob. And uh, it just, it really moves me personally. You know, just the, the God of the scriptures is the God of right now. You know, that he's the same yesterday, today, forever. And in the same way that he was with and worked through all these different people, you know, in the scriptures, that he's available to us. And it's, um, uh, I think that's an incredible truth. And <clears throat> So in my office this morning, I walked in and they, you know, this band, I think it's Elevation that wrote that song. They have, you know, merch and things connected to some of their songs and things like that. So on my desk was um, a T-shirt that somebody got me and it has, it's based on the lyrics of that song. And it was kind of from these people. And I said, hey, just, I really appreciate you. I know you love this song. So I got you this shirt and I pulled it out and I was like, Wow. That's so nice of you. So um, <laughs> that made me smile today. And yeah. um, it was just, it was an unexpected gift. So that was my precious moment. Love it. Love it. Well, today we get into today's topic, which is addiction. And I think it's probably helpful, as we do most episodes, to just start with a definition. So, you know, from a clinical, from a therapeutic um perspective, uh, how would we define addiction? Yeah. So uh, addiction is, you know, using something um, that could be good in excess. Mm. And that excess is causing disturbance in your life. Um, it could be small, it could be big, but it's causing difficulty in your life because that thing is being used in excess. Okay. How would we say maybe that this is just different from like a bad habit, you know, like maybe right. like I'm chewing my fingernails, you know, and it's like, maybe that's kind of gross. I shouldn't do that. But it's like, I, I wouldn't say I'm addicted to doing it, but maybe it's something I do regularly that's not great. You know, like where would we sure. say that a bad habit crosses over into like an addiction? Yeah. So ironically, nail biting is um, maybe not addictive, but is a sign of something going on inside um, and the compulsivity of actually continuing to bite okay. is actually something that could be about anxiety. So it, some of these things are indicators, right? But mm. when we talk about a bad habit, I mean, people think of nail biting, they think of going through a drive through and getting a huge amount of junk food, right? <laughs> sure. And none of those things are, you know, necessarily addictive um, on their own and isolated in that one experience. But but what we try to look at is how often is this thing happening? So how often do I go shopping and below the budget? Is that a once a year thing? Is that a weekly thing? Is that a monthly thing that actually happens around the same time? Um, so we're looking at how often something happens to make it a bad habit versus an addiction. So I'll, I'll have a client come in and say, um, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with food. And I'll say, okay, you know, tell me a little bit about that. And they'll say, well, when I have a bad day, I go through the drive-through. And I'm like, oh, okay. So um, how much do you end up eating, right? Let's talk a little bit more about it. But basically every time there's a bad feeling, there's a, a drive-through. 
And and that would be getting closer to what we would maybe want to look at to see if there's an actual food addiction versus just I need a meal and I happen to pick junk food once in a while. Okay. You know, as we're embarking on this conversation, um, as with many of our topics, you know, that there's an emotional weight to what we're discussing. And I'm even, there's a lot of layers to that, but I'm maybe thinking perhaps of those people who might be listening, whose lives have been impacted by the addiction of other people. You know, I think about, um, you know, maybe you're in a family marked by alcoholism, you know, maybe right. your parents abused um, substances and your family fell apart because of that. You know, so maybe you're listening and addiction is an issue for you personally. Maybe it's something because it's impacted you and it's 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 been devastating, you know, on your life and the people around you because people kind of just started to engage in these destructive behaviors. Maybe they said they would stop or they were trying to stop, but they never did. And you're just left with this deep wounding and pain from the past and present sure. because of the addictive behavior of people around you. And I think that it's um, there's a weight, right, to what we're describing today for sure. Absolutely. So maybe from that perspective of, uh, obviously, we're going to talk about people who are dealing with addiction themselves, but you know, as a therapist, maybe what information would it help us to hear to maybe understand addictive behavior better, you know, like in the lives of people, like, why don't you just stop? You know, <laughs> like we've talked at different times about, you know, like anxiety, for example, like uh, just stop being sad, you know, <laughs> and maybe why that isn't helpful advice when it comes to dealing with anxiety. So when it comes to addiction, like, why don't you just stop? Um, and we were talking before about addictive behavior being a sign, even nail biting, like you were saying earlier, perhaps being an indicator of something that's happening within, you know, mm -hmm. so what information might be there for us understanding perhaps the roots of addictive behavior and how that can help us? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to, um, Remember that God's design for our life is not to live imprisoned. And addiction and abuse of anything can land us in that space. Sure. And the person who is struggling with abuse or addiction of, of many different things, like there's lots of different options, um, is most likely coming from a place of pain and trauma. Mm. You don't wake up and want to be an alcoholic, someone who views pornography, someone who compulsively shops, someone who gambles, right? There's, mm. you don't wake up wanting that for your life. And so I think the most important thing to know is that addiction is something someone is struggling with that they did not sign up for. Mm. What they are looking for is support for pain and trauma that does need to be processed. And so that's ultimately how people walk into finding vices, if you will, to work with the pain, right? There's numbing things, numbing qualities to addiction and abusive things. And it keeps people from experiencing their feelings and then walking through their pain. Mm. And for many people who struggle lifelong, it's easier to do the thing than it is to face the pain. Yeah. And although God's plan for our life is to live a life of freedom, the fear to addressing what is so dark and painful mm. makes it 
easier to use something else instead of the freedom of Jesus. And ultimately, they're going to need support and help to do that. Um, but that's how someone may be experiencing abuse or addiction. From a bigger perspective, I, I think it's important that we remember that we live in a culture that supports addiction and abuse. Mm. If you don't have an iPhone and you're not checking your email, text messages, Instagram, Facebook, you the list of things, um, I mean, you sure. might as well be on Pluto. <laughs> Which isn't even a planet anymore. So it's just Bro, like a big asteroid. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what is that? Pluto is not a planet? Okay. <laughs> separate, separate podcast. I'm sad. Okay. But I mean, it, everywhere you go, addiction is uh, whether or not you have the right clothes and you've purchased it from the right person and you've checked um, on how you're doing with A, B, C, D. Right. Mm. Especially with social media and technology that follows us everywhere at this point, we sure. are continuing to produce addicted individuals mm. in our culture and society. Wow. So people are like, hey, how do I not struggle with this? And I'm like, well, I mean, you could look around the room. And if you go into a social setting where someone's not on their phone, I would be impressed. Someone who's able to carry a face to face conversation without checking their phone for a couple of hours is, is pretty hard to find. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to know that that's all that is around um, at this point and finding people who are willing to engage in activities that don't produce more and more addiction and abuse is important, mm. but it's going to be hard to find. I'm hopeful that the church will continue to be a place where people put those things away and they can attune to the Holy Spirit, right? They can attune to what God's doing in their community. Um, but outside the church and everywhere else that people are bumping into, it's, you know, other things that are going to keep producing the feeling of adrenaline, the feeling of massed connection. And um, that's what's around. So um, from there, right, what how what is addiction and abuse um it's it's both nurture and nature i think we we all kind of have an understanding now that you can be brought up in an alcoholic family system and see the parties and be exposed to things within your nurturing environment and mm -hmm. also be genetically predisposed to also uh be desiring um alcohol or drugs specifically okay so Fundamentally, that's where those two things um, lay, is that addiction is both. It's not one or the other. But maybe that's a good point to just kind of pause and see if there's questions around any of that so far. And there's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there is a lot there. And as you mentioned, it's kind of pervasive. I thought your, you know, your, your comments there about just our culture nurturing, you know, addictive behaviors um, was really interesting. I was thinking in um, our episode on relationships I recorded with Katie, we released, we were talking about this picture of kind of, we, you can't go around it, you can't go over it, you have to go through it. And um, thinking about addiction as like avoidant behavior, mm -hmm. you know, like instead of facing the pain of my past or this of my circumstances, instead of dealing with my hurt, this is a way I kind of medicate or avoid um, dealing with the pain that would help to lessen the grip that addiction 
has on me, you know? And so rather than kind of going through it, I try to go around it. Right. And obviously addictive behaviors have tons of negative impacts. I mean, there's kind of the, there's the theological dimension that I'm going against God's desire for my life. There's just the, the relational and emotional, the mental, the physical, you know, it's hurting my body. It's hurting the people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's pornography. I want to ask a bit about that later, like you mentioned. Yeah. And um, I just think that's a really, you know, as we see people around us, uh, perhaps, you know, engaging in addictive behavior, um, a lot of times it's almost always somebody that's hurting, you know, like you were saying there. And it's a lot of times it's it's close to the surface when you see someone who's addicted to something. It's you can see that I'm trying to find relief from the pain that I'm experiencing, but it's not working. Right. And um, it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's maybe speak then to a person who might be dealing with addiction, you know, um, maybe as a something coping with pain or whatever that is. But it'd be like, yeah, I'm doing this thing and I, I can't stop. I've tried to stop. Um, like you said, I don't wake up and want to be addicted to something, but here I am. Right. Um, I feel like I'm trapped by this thing. Um, what, what are some options, you know, just what are some ways forward? What are, how can we move through and perhaps out of or cope with, like you said, there's, there's nature, there's nurture, there's a lot of reasons we fall into addictive behavior, but what, what could be a, just a hopeful way forward for somebody who's maybe trapped in some addictive behaviors? Yeah, I think that, um, the first step, you know, um, that does come specifically from the AA model is, is just saying what it is that is entrapping. Mm. What What's the thing that's actually going on? There is so much shame attached to addiction. Mm. And if people knew that they did not have to live in the shame and could actually say out loud what is the thing that they really do struggle with within their community, I don't know what the percentage would be of actually getting help after that, but to me, it does seem that it would be large. Mm. Just saying the thing in loving community, what is that thing? And it might be pornography. It might be cigarette smoking. It might be, um, you know... um, something that seems really small but is actually taking over your life Mm. and just being able to say that out loud from a spiritual perspective to me takes the uh lie of shame out of the equation Mm. i am not alone in this pit by myself trapped in this i'm a human i'm an individual that deserves freedom and peace and by just saying this thing, I am coming out of the trap- mm. entrapment. I am coming out of this space and I'm saying, I don't want this anymore. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. That's okay. But here's the thing. So just that place of honesty to me is a good start. Yeah. So just kind of naming I'm I am addicted or I'm struggling with this. You know, I think about, you know, some of those um, – <laughs> That's stereotypical, but you know, he's standing up at a meeting and saying, I'm so-and-so and and I'm an alcoholic, you know, like it kind of gets, 
wouldn't say mocked, but it's just, it's like one of those things you think about with it. But it's like what you're saying here is that there's, there's a power in that, you know, of just naming and being honest with people around us that love us and being honest with ourselves. It's like, oh, you know, sometimes obviously in, in my life and ours will we'll minimize our behaviors. Like, oh, I just, I do it occasionally to get by, or it's not that big of a problem. It's not impacting my life. And sometimes the first person that we're deceiving is ourselves, you know, about right. how significant and destructive perhaps our behavior is. And to do that is to kind of come out of the darkness and into the light and begin a journey of, of healing. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, being able to be truthful is Mm. the first step. And I think for many people, the AA meeting of, of saying your name and your addiction is very powerful and it's an important place to start perhaps. Um, other schools of thought are, let's not label someone forever with this. Let's sure. remember that they are um, a child of God and a whole person with a struggle, right? We don't mm. have somebody with um, diabetes um, introduce themselves with diabetes the whole, their whole life, right? <laughs> sure. So we want, we want to be um, aware of a whole person um, and also aware that there is a struggle that does need to be treated. Um, so I, I think there's there's two pieces in there that that can um, be helpful. But being truthful to me is the first start. I think being truthful with people that you love, being truthful with yourself. And then obviously we do have a medical system that can be supportive to someone being evaluated for addiction. Um, and if it is drugs or alcohol specifically, you can see your GP, your general practitioner, and actually ask for a referral to be evaluated for treatment. Um, And for a lot of people, that is the only way they're going to be able to get an honest evaluation um, with someone who's an expert in drugs and alcohol recovery to then be set to the appropriate levels of treatment. Some people need detox, some people need outpatient, some people need residential care. It's just very dependent on the level and the kind of abuse or addiction that's at play. But there's an expert that evaluates that um, specifically with drugs and alcohol. And so that would be one of the first places that you would go if that is something that you're concerned about after you have some support and community around you. Yeah. So I kind of hear kind of two key steps in there are being honest and seeking help. Uh, seeking skilled help, right? So first kind of admitting, hey, there is an issue here. I admit that to myself, to the people around me who support me and care for me, and I'm open to receiving the skilled care I might need to find my way out of this addictive behavior that I'm in, which probably might include right addressing the pain or hurt that caused me to fall into this addictive behavior in the first place, right? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We mentioned this a bit uh, about uh, the subject of, of pornography and pornography addiction. And we were just talking before that it's really soared, you know, in recent years, the number of people who would confess to looking at pornography um, obsessively, compulsively. You know, if you're addicted to, to doing that, you can't stop, even though you feel this tremendous shame about it. Um, you know, what is it that's just. It just becomes this hole that we fall into and, you know, what is perhaps unique about it or, or not? And maybe how can we find our way out of that? Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, we are an advanced uh, within our technology that you can access pornography 
so much easier than 20 years ago. Yeah. So the availability has drastically changed. I mean, you, back in the day, you'd have to actually buy the VHS. You'd actually have to buy the magazine and then hide it, right? Right. Now you don't actually even have to do that, right? You can get it on your phone or on your t television anytime you want. There, and, and you may or may not even have to pay for it. And so it is accessible in a way that is, uh, you know, obviously torturing people all over the world um, because there is not a mechanism to protect themselves, right? Because there's just this thing in front of you all of the time. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I guess the first thing I would say is um, I know our target audience of people who are listening are, are going to be younger people, but young people and parents have the option to figure out how to protect themselves, mm. as do adults. Um, but if adults aren't protecting their children from their smartphones, there's no way a child will not see pornography by the age of eight. There's just yeah. no way. So as much as we would like to think that it's not going to happen, we actually, there, there's a gap there of being a really aware of what reality is yeah. and putting in mechanisms into place for, to protect kids. And then obviously for young adults, being able to understand what to do to protect yourself from yourself on technology um, and being able to talk about it. But the adrenaline rush that is available on a constant basis through a, a smartphone is what we are studying is why Facebook got sued, right? It's that your brain lights up every single time um, that you get a like. There, It lights up every single time you have access to someone with less clothes on. It just happens. Yeah. And so that happening at the rate that it's happening leads to higher pornography addiction. And then treatment is don't use your phone. And most people aren't going to be willing to do that. And putting on software and those things are sometimes hard to access for people or they don't know how to do that. Um, and putting those mechanisms into place is, is what is possible to treat uh, on a practical level. But on a clinical basis, addiction has to be treated in the brain. Mm. Specifically, therapies like EMDR and IMTT are the treatments that are saying there is a feeling that this addictive thing is giving me, that my brain, body, spirit have connected that I need to rewire. Mm. And those two therapies are doing that and it's the number one way to treat that from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, I was, I can't remember, but it was a few months back and I was, um, I was reading an article about um, like fentanyl usage and just this reality that some things are more addictive than yes. other things because right. of what they do in our brains, you yeah. know, and it was, it was devastating, you know, like it was, I think it was following a few people who were like at the border in, in Tijuana and I've crossed over, you know, been in there many times over the years and just people whose lives have deteriorated 
um, because they literally cannot stop themselves because of what's happening in their body, right. um, how it's been rewired, how it's been changed by these things that they've introduced into their system, you know? Right. Um, and I think that that's helpful, you know, to talk about just kind of the, the brain's role in addiction and what like healing and change needs to happen there for us to experience freedom from addictive behaviors in, in certain circumstances. Yeah. There has to be an, an, an unhooking to the attachment of the thing and the brain and the body and the spirit. Yes. Yeah. And God can miraculously heal that. There are lots of ways that people can be healed, but oftentimes if it's not actually healed with one substance from a brain body spirit connection, a new substance is picked up. So if there, if you have a history of addiction in your family, or you've noticed even in your own life, Hey, I am prone to noticing these addictive qualities within myself. I'm noticing that getting these kinds of treatments with EMDR and IMTT earlier on will prevent you from being able to just go on to the next one. Once you've mastered the addiction of, you know, behaviorally stopping the one in front of you, let's say you stop using pot. But you notice that in your family history, there's a lot of people that have struggled with addiction and it could be an addiction to women. It could be an addiction to food. It could be any addiction. And there's maybe that predisposition we were talking about earlier. If you're 22 and you're noticing that just with your interaction with pot, if you go ahead and go all the way to an EMDR and IMTT person and get it, the connection with the addiction and brain body spirit resolved now there's a possibility that you won't move on to the next one, like people in your family. Yeah. We talked a bit about, you know, in, in the church world, we have what's called like celebrate recovery, which are like kind of groups for people who are dealing with addiction. We talked a little bit about Alcoholics Anonymous, 12-step programs, you know, just in my college years, I had like an accountability group. And um, there were times, you know, I think about accountability in my group. Um, we just lied to each other. You know, because <laughs> um, and that's the reality is if you're doing some behavior, um, it, you're just not going to be honest about it. But at the same time, there's there's this power. We talked about being created for relationship. God made us for connection and mutual support for us to be the body of Christ, to be um, kind of there for and with. I, I love thinking about like the one another's of the Bible. And there's such a rich way of how we're meant to think about how God intends us to connect with each other. So I just wondered if we could talk a bit about just, yeah, what is the role perhaps that healthy relationship can play in helping us, you know, find our way out of and cope with, uh, you know, ad addiction? Yeah, I guess I would start with um, community can't be the only way you resolve your addiction. Sure. I I think that as wonderful and as important as Celebrate Recovery is, it, it can't be the only way that you resolve your addiction and, mm. and work with it. It is much more clinical and psychological than just community and scripture. And I think that's very hard for Christians to hear. Mm. So I think it's a great step, um, but it can't be the only step. But in relationship, what can be accomplished is regular community and out, you're out of isolation. You're yeah. not using alone. 
And when you're wanting to use, you're with others. So what has worked is being in community with non-users has shown to help people keep not being a non-user themselves. Yeah. In the studies they've done, the more you are around non-users, the longer you stay a, a non-user. Yeah. And that can be something as simple as cigarettes all the way to something more complex like cocaine. Yeah. Being around a non-user. So in the body of Christ, being in community and doing a relationship with people who are pursuing Jesus in their pain, living honestly, talking about how scripture meets us in our pain, doing that part is, I think, an incredible part of healing. Um, and I think figuring out who are those people that are safe, that are willing to hold your truth, willing to hold you in those spaces as you contemplate your pain and the process of and the struggle of not using. Mm. So wherever you find those places, community is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about, um, we talked about this at a few points in different episodes, but sometimes if we're, maybe it's addiction that we feel a lot of shame around that sometimes, and I know for me, sometimes in the things that I've if I would say I was addicted to, but it was sinful behavior I was engaging in. And I felt like that defined me. You know, I felt like because I had gone down this path that there was no coming back, you know, that like I had made this fatal error and um, I couldn't belong anymore because of what I'd done. And I think that that can be one of the most incredible gifts sometimes of being a part of community is sure. as you're healing, as you're pursuing these other layers of support that we've detailed in this episode that like, I can belong somewhere, you know, yes. I can, I can have a meaningful, you know, place. I can experience healing. I don't have to be defined by my sin. I don't have to be defined by the mistakes I've made, the addiction that I've fallen into. Like you said, like just naming myself as, diabetic or alcoholic, you know, that doesn't have to define me. And sometimes just being surrounded by loving people that support me and say, you know, this, this is the only thing about you. Right. You know, it can help you to believe like there's a life, God has a purpose for me and it doesn't have to be stolen away by addiction. It doesn't have to be stolen away by the mistakes that I've made. And that can just give me the will to keep pursuing healing, you know, and think of what God might use my story to do in the lives of other people. And yeah. I just think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the fullness of our story in Jesus, right, is not all of the chapters, right? We, it, it's, it's the whole story that God has redeemed us. And mm. there are parts of all of us that we fall to our knees in surrender to. But I'm not defined by every single time I've surrendered. I'm defined by him. Yes. And so I, I couldn't agree with you more that community reminds us of our identity in Christ. And they don't have to, you know, drag us, you know, in our sin. Right. <laughs> and, and and if they are, then leave that group. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the group that comes alongside, right? And says, yeah, I want to hear about it and I want to support you and I want to cheer you on and I don't want to just hear about your struggle with drugs mm, or alcohol yes. or porn. I want to hear about your victories. 
I want to hear about what you're learning about Jesus. I want to hear about your favorite scripture this week. Yeah. Like the, the fullness, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to say as we land the plane on uh, today's topic? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes um, people are really confused by addiction when they are the friend or the family member on what to do. And um, maybe just a quick moment on that, I would say um, if if that is you, um, that there is nothing you can do to make someone stop using or abusing something. Mm. As much as you would love to do that for them, it, it's not possible for you to create someone to leave that choice and that addiction. It is possible to pray for them. It is possible to support them. It is possible to, you know, um, encourage them with their resources. It's it's possible for you to help them call their medical provider for an evaluation. Um, but it's really important to um, have boundaries and to stay in your own lane and to take care of yourself while you are exposed to someone who might be using or abusing some some substance. Mm. I think that's a helpful word and it can maybe feel so helpless for us sometimes when someone around us is and you know hurting themselves and their addiction is hurting us and other people that we love and encouraging them to be honest with themselves and maybe start pursuing a path of healing to to the degree that that's within our power to do. Um, but not re realizing we can't change the person, you know, we can't just make them stop by, I think that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, therapists spend a lot of time working with the addicted and the family and friends of the addicted and, um, the friends of the family, we're helping them create boundaries. So they're not giving away their life savings and their whole heart and mm. their house to someone who is, unable to get help yeah and encouraging them to al-anon and other really important resources to start to look at their own piece of the puzzle and those that are addicted we're looking at the actual addiction and the mental health components that are at play so that we can give them the right resources and to help them start creating a treatment plan that's going to get them um, dealing with their pain and their mental health and hopefully no longer being addicted and abusing something. Well, this podcast episode is not a replacement for professional therapy. This podcast is a platform where we will be sharing resources and information that may be useful to the general public. If you need immediate assistance, please call 988. Well, I want to say a huge thank you to Amanda today for helping us to engage with this really important topic. Amanda, thank you so much. You're welcome. And uh, thanks to you for listening. We hope that you found today's conversation helpful and we hope to catch you again soon. This is the Praxis Podcast. Have a great day. Oh, 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 o